I, as we were worshiping today, I, the Lord laid a passage of scripture on my heart that I just wanted to share with you. I, I sensed that maybe there's someone here with a very troubled spirit, and worship just seemed impossible for you today. And I think all of us have been there from time to time. And I just, uh, the Lord brought me to Isaiah, the 61st, 61st chapter, and that chapter is titled, The Year of the Lord's Favor. The Year of the Lord's Favor. We read these words, the, sovereign, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of the vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of, instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for his display and splendor. And then this next verse really captured my thoughts. Isaiah said, they will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. And I just want to make a claim today, for those of you who have had uh, places of devastation in your life that you think there's no recovery from, God is in the restoring and the rebuilding business. And he wants to restore the fortunes that the enemy stole. He wants to restore the, uh, the joy that you once had, the joy of your salvation. So I want to encourage you with God's word today uh, that God wants to meet you where you are. He's not angry at you because you're having a hard time worshiping today. Mike mentioned it too. Maybe, maybe your heart just isn't there today. God's not angry with you for that. He's inviting you to open your heart and let him restore what's been stolen. So let's give God praise today. Can we give him just a, a hand of praise today for who he is? Yes. Praise Jesus. Those of you who don't know, my name is Phil, and I serve in the pastoral care ministry here at Third, and it's a privilege to be able to share God's Word with you today. We are kind of mixing it up, and I can see already that we way underestimated, <laughs> and some people will not get a table, it looks to me like, but in just a moment, we're going to turn you loose to, uh, for a little fruit basket upset, and uh, you snooze, you lose, I guess. <laughs> no, we'll, we'll figure out a way to make this work, but... Um, about 30 years ago, I want to tell you about a, a memory that I had from 30 years ago. I was driving through a rural area of Illinois and through a very small town. I don't even remember the name of the town, but I came upon a house that had been burned clear to the ground about the day before. It was still smoldering, and all that you could see was just a, a pile of rubbish and, and uh, soaked rubbish and uh, charred wood, piles of melted debris, and that in itself wouldn't have left an impression on my mind, but what I can't get out of my mind is right next door, about 40 feet away from that burnt down house, was the local fire department. <laughs> and I thought, hmm, <laughs> one of those things that make you go, hmm. Now, I don't know the whole story. Maybe there was a controlled burn, very possible. I don't know what the story was, but that picture has never left my mind. And I was reminded of it just this week. In fact, if we call ourselves the body of Christ, that means we are the church, right? 
And I wonder if there are people within our shadow, within the shadow of the church, which is us, who are starving for hope, for love, and for the message of Jesus Christ that he brings, right in our shadow. You know, in Acts, it talked about the shadow of of Paul passing across places and people being healed. What happens when we cast our shadow? (laughs) Are people being healed and changed for the glory of God, or do we even notice? And, And that was really made real to me this week. I have an embarrassing thing to tell you. As I was preparing for today's message, I was thinking, when we... When we get around our tables, what I'm going to have us do, I'm going to have us pray for our neighbors. We're going to go from being the centralized church into our neighborhoods, and we're going to pray for our neighbors. And so I started, I prayed for my neighbors on my right, and then I started to pray for my neighbors on my left. I've lived there two years, and I realized I didn't know their names. I had to look it up on Beacon Property Search (laughs) to find out who my neighbors were. Now, that's pretty sad. I'm just being honest with you. It's pretty sad. Now, we have visited from time to time, but there was not a connection good enough for me to even remember their name. It's Drew and Leah, by the way. <laughs> I don't think I'll ever forget that. So the point of our, of our time today is, I believe God is calling us, just as he did in Acts, the 18th chapter, to go from the centralized church to our neighborhoods. And so... As we do that, we have some cookies and some coffee and lemonade and water at the back. I want you to go to the back and find, uh, find you a treat and a little bit of coffee and then sit at the tables. And then after the tables fill up, we'll just get, gather in groups in our seats, all right? Take a little time to do that. And maybe grab a pen by the Bible uh, table over there, too, because we're going to do some writing today. First thing I'm going to have you do on the very bottom of your paper, and if you've got... These tables should have extra papers. Let's get... Let's get a few of these here for the folks that are still in chairs. All right, and we do have a, one table back by the wall back there yet, if anyone is interested with about three. Maybe, maybe the chairs are gone. I don't know. Looks like maybe the chairs are gone. We'll plan a little better next time. I'm sorry. I want you to draw a circle at the bottom in that uh, empty space down there, and then I want you to get the names of your people at your table and write down... Uh, the names of everyone at your table, all right? Or in your row. So you can't do it that quietly. You're going to have to get, uh, have to speak up. Okay, I think we're ready to get started. We're going to be looking in Acts, the 18th chapter. So if you have your own Bible, we, there are a couple of few Bibles there at each table as well. And we're going we're gonna to read verses 1 through 8 to start with, and uh, then we'll be reading a little bit from chapter 19 later on. So from the Word of God, Acts 18, starting with verse 1, we read this. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. 
But when the Jews opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am clear of my responsibility. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue ruler, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard him believed and were baptized. We're going to stop there for just a moment. Paul had just, as Bristol talked about last week, Paul had just preached a fabulous sermon at Athens. Now, as far as I'm concerned, if I read the book of Acts, Acts 17 and the, and the sermon of Athens was his best sermon Paul ever preached. It was a phenomenal sermon about the unknown God. And as Bristol talked to us last week about naming our God is important. First of all, naming our fears and then naming our God who overcomes those fears. And I thought it was a great uh, reminder for us that names are important. And Paul preached about the unknown God to the people at Athens to his biggest congregation ever. Do you realize that Athens was one of the largest cities of the then known world? And it probably ran around 600,000 in population. And Paul was at the very center of Athens' worship at the Areopagus uh, where the Parthenon is. If you've ever seen pictures of the uh, Greek Parthenon in Athens, that's where Paul preached his message. We don't know how many thousands of people were listening. But actually, oddly enough, there weren't very many conversions. And if you happen to hear, hear Pastor Kevin last week, he said it was a, kind of a failure. He went away with, on record, at only about four conversions that they know of. And so here's this uh, huge uh, forum, this huge venue. <clears throat> Paul preaches his heart out under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and almost nothing happens. So then he comes to Corinth. <clears throat> Excuse me. He comes to Corinth and um, something happens there. He starts to preach in the synagogue, which was his regular custom. He went to the synagogue and started teaching and trying to convince the people of Christ. And they became abusive and so Paul got ticked off, and he shook his clothes and says, I'm done with you. I've, done, I've, I've fulfilled my responsibility. From now, I'm going to the Gentiles. And so it says, Paul went to the house next door. And that's what this is all about today. I believe God is asking us to go to the house next door, to our neighborhoods, and to begin to teach and to be the church wherever we go. We find out here that when he went to the house next door, he moved from the synagogue to the house next door. He moved from a religious center to where the people live. And as I was contemplating this chapter today, there are three what-ifs that, uh, that I pondered throughout the week. What if the next big thing is a small thing? What if this uh, tremendous message that I preached at Athens, the next, thing, the next big thing that God wants me to do is to go to the house of Titus and start teaching one by one by one by one. What if the megachurch mentality doesn't always work? Now, I'm thankful for all the great preachers and all the big churches all around the world who are preaching the gospel, and I'm not downplaying that at all, but sometimes God wants to do something personal. And it can only happen when you and me and all of us go out into our neighborhoods and begin to share Christ's love around tables, in fellowship, loving one another well. I want to talk just a little bit about the house church movement. 
that started here uh, in Corinth. Paul started a new movement of, of house churches that by the time, listen to this, by 312 AD, which was when Constantine was the emperor of the Roman Empire, there were over a million believers in 65,000 house churches. That was the way the gospel grew. It wasn't the megachurch thing. Acts, Acts 2 was awesome. 3,000 people got saved, but from there, it went to the grassroots and went all over Europe and Asia in house to house to house to house, people accepting Christ and their lives being changed. 65,000 house churches. Now, here's where it's going to get interesting. Uh, I've been uh, Pastor Kevin has been reading a book by Jerry Sitzer, who was here in Pella a few weeks back. He's a uh, church historian, and he's writing a new book about the first 300 years of the church. And he said of these 65,000 house churches, every one of them was equipped with a teacher, with someone who was in the healing ministry, and with an exorcist, <laughs> okay, because of the demonic attacks that they were facing. So what I want you to do today, this is gonna, we're going to be real vulnerable. At your table, I want to figure out who the exorcist is. <laughs> I want to figure out who the teacher is, and I want to figure out who the healing ministry is. Seriously, I want you just to talk about your giftings, okay? Uh, be vulnerable. Talk to each other. Uh, maybe you can share with you can share with what you think someone else's gift is, or you can say, "I think this is where God has gifted me." Okay, this is going to be really quiet at first, but it's going to build. Okay, <laughs> at your tables, I want you to be vulnerable enough. If you were a house church, if your eight or ten people there were a house church, what would it look like? So let's just brainstorm a little bit. All right, uh, think outside the box. What would your house church at your table look like? Uh, if you were holding a house church there. All right, talk about it. All right, are you all ready to have church? <laughs> you got it all figured out? Real quickly, real quickly, just uh, spontaneously, what are some of the things you found out about your group, about your home church? We're awesome. We're awesome. <laughs> Okay, everybody's going to church hop over to that table. We have a diversity of gifts. That's exactly right. Isn't it cool how God puts people together who are completely different and who bring a diversity of gifts? Anybody else? I think Paul said it this way, are all apostles, are all teachers? No. God has given us all various gifts for the building up of the body. Anyone else want to? Say what you learned at your table. Well, I just said we're better together, too. Okay. So there's some things you can't tackle on your own. I think we would find in our, in our culture, we don't, we don't deal with the demonic very well, or at least we don't do it very often because we're afraid of it. And I think that if we can learn together how to, uh, how to fight these battles and to come against the kingdom of darkness, I think there's great benefit in that. So, anyone else? Okay. You know what? That is so true. When we are in a large group of, uh, we're actually considered by a definition a mega church here, and I'm thankful for our church. Believe me, I'm grateful for our church. But sometimes in a group of 3,000 people, it's hard for the gift to be in use, isn't it? 
And sometimes we feel like that, that maybe there's not a role that we can play. Well, there is, but sometimes they're best discovered in this kind of environment. I can about guarantee that every one of you learned something about someone else today that you didn't know before just by the interaction around a table. A few, uh, I think it was a year or so back, uh, Tim Brand had a, we had a kind of a hospitality message here in this room where we were all set up with tables. And one of the things that he said is food breaks down a whole lot of barriers, <laughs> doesn't it? <laughs> and when we can sit around tables eating together, uh, fellowshipping together, all of a sudden our guard is let down, our hearts are open to what God may be doing. And so what I want to encourage us to do on the circle where you have the names of everyone at your table, now I want you to add the names of your neighbors, and hopefully you aren't as embarrassed as I am uh, that you might not know their name, uh, but maybe, maybe it's just two people that come to your mind. I want you to put it on your people. And then I'm going to just ask you to have a time of silent prayer at your table for those around your table and for the two names that you've added, Okay. So we'll just take, uh, take a time while the music is playing quietly for about three minutes and just have a prayer time. Lord, I just ask that you will open our eyes to the needs around us and to the value around us. Lord, help us not to be caught up in our own little drive-in garage, get into our house in seclusion. But Lord, show us ways that we can bring your love next door. Lord, I confess that it's so easy to be very involved in church work and forget about kingdom work that happens one person at a time. Help us to see opportunities to love, to heal, to deliver, just as you did when you were here on earth. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So my action step for this first wandering, what if the next big thing is a small thing, my action step for you this week is to listen and watch for opportunities to be the church in your neighborhood. To watch and listen for opportunities to be the church in your neighborhood. Interestingly enough, if you read that text in in uh, Corinthians, or in Acts, when they were in Corinth, after he moved out of the synagogue into the house next door, you know who his first convert was? The ruler of the synagogue that had just kicked him out. <laughs> That's really, really quite a story when you think about it. Uh, while he was in there, nothing was happening. They were just getting abused. And as soon as he got kicked out, he went to the house next door, and the ruler of the synagogue gave his heart to Christ, and his whole family was saved. See what happens when we're willing to be neighbors? and to go out and do the small thing for the kingdom of God. The second wandering I had is what if, the, from verses 9 to 28, it's on your paper there, what if the warriors get weary? The next question I want you to discuss among your, your group, I want someone to read uh, verse 9 and 10. And uh, someone in your group read verses 9 and 10. And then I want you just to think about ways that Paul might have been discouraged. Uh, and ways that God brought healing, to him, encouragement to him. All right? Verse 9 and 10. So someone in your group read that and then discuss that at your table. Uh, why might have Paul been discouraged? 
Okay, what'd you come up with? Why might Paul have been, a, been worn out and weary? Anyone over on this side? We've been, been looking at these folks. Doubt. Doubt, okay. I think that plagues all of us from time to time. Anyone else? That's right. <laughs> Good point, Tom. Read, I, I'm not going to read it now, but read 2 Corinthians chapter 11 sometime. And Paul gives, in kind of a boastful way, <laughs> uh, he had a reason for it, but he talks about all the things that he, he had been beaten with 39 stripes five times, which 39 stripes is one short of killing you. He had had that happen five times. So yeah, that'd wear you out, Tom. That'd wear you down. Anything have any of you ever, ever done spiritual warfare? Does it wear you out? It takes it out of you big time. Okay? So all of these things were going on in Paul's life. And, and I don't, it doesn't say that Paul was discouraged, but I have to believe uh, in light of the scripture that God showed up in a vision that God knew something about what was going on and said, Paul needs, needs a voice from heaven. And he encouraged him. He said, don't fear. Don't be silent. I am with you. And then he reminded him of the mission, I have many people in this city. And then not only did he get encouragement from above, but in the next verses, uh, we won't take time to read them today, but he also got reinforcements from below, from Aquila and Priscilla, people who walked alongside him, people who were of the same occupation, they were tent makers. He lived with them for quite a long time, and, and they later became teachers in the church. Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, and not only did they come from Macedonia, they brought a gift from the Macedonian church with them. So uh, cash sometimes is a good thing <laughs> when you're discouraged. <laughs> and if, if you read this, in the first part, it talked about Paul working with Aquila and Priscilla as a tent maker. We've talked about that in Paul's life a lot of times. But afterwards, it says that he devoted himself exclusively to teaching. Why? because of the gift from Macedonia. God had blessed the, with wealth the church of Macedonia, so they gave, uh, brought it to Paul, so he was able to go full-time in the ministry. We were talking about this at staff meeting the other day, and Kevin asked the question, why do you suppose it is that uh, uh, Paul went full-time after this? And Mike piped up and says he must have watched a Benny Hinn video. <laughs> that was a joke, by the way. <laughs> I thought it was kind of funny. Uh, but, but there were resources that came from the, other, from the other churches so that he was able to go full-time exclusively into ministry. Have you ever had a time in your life when you just needed to hear encouragement from heaven? Anyone in here? When you just, <laughs> you were about to give up and all of a sudden God showed up with a word. Maybe it was through someone. Maybe it was through the word of God. Or maybe the Holy Spirit quickened something to you in the night. Or maybe you heard an audible voice. But God brought encouragement. Can I share a funny story that happened to me about 20 years ago? When I was in that place, I was disillusioned with church. We had just had a big church split. I don't know if anybody, anybody ever walked through those, but they're ugly. And they take their toll and you just feel completely disillusioned with life and with church in general. And uh, we went out to Colorado to see some pastor friends and and we were climbing in the mountains and just enjoying the beautiful blue sky in the mountains. And I was just climbing up this mountain. I said, Lord, can you let me come out to Colorado and just start over again? I hate Iowa. I'm tired of all the fussing that happens in Iowa. It's just perfect out here. 
And Lord, can you please let me move to Colorado? And about that time, I slipped on a rock and I fell down and my hand came directly, fell right on this rock. And I picked it up and looked at it. <laughs> now, I, I'm not a geography expert, but that isn't Colorado. <laughs> this, this is exactly what my hand fell on, and I did not do a thing to it. And, you know, in my mind, I got to thinking on the way down the mountain, whenever God created the earth, I wonder if he thought there would be some knucklehead from Iowa that needed a sign. <laughs> but God encouraged me. And this wasn't all about go back to Iowa. This was about, I know where you are at. I know your name. I know what's going on in your mind right now, what you're struggling with and what you're battling with, and I haven't forgotten you. So I, if you come to my office, I keep this in very good visibility because every few days, <laughs> every few days, I need a reminder that God hasn't forgotten where I'm at. You see, we need those encouragements from heaven, and that's just what happened to Paul. What about encouragements horizontally? Have you ever had someone that came up to you and spoke just the right word at the right time? Gave you a hug? I love, I, I love it when, you know, cards are kind of a thing of the past. We text, we email. Can I give you two action steps for this point today? When the warriors get weary, can Guy encourage you with two action steps? One, encourage someone in the family. Encourage someone in the church family with a card, with a phone call. And the second action step is to encourage one of the leaders because the warriors do get weary. And there's nothing quite like having someone come alongside and say, hey, I appreciate what you're doing. And so as the body of Christ, those are our action steps for this week. Warriors get weary. We get weary. And so can we pass along a hug, a smile, an encouraging word, a phone call? Let's do that this week. And we see that happening in this, book of, in this chapter of Acts where Paul is encouraged and he's reinvigorated to move further and to keep preaching the gospel. And then the third wandering that I have, what if repentance is only the beginning? And we, we find this in chapter 19, verses 1 through 7, in our series in the book of Acts. This is what we're uh, studying this week in both places. I'm just going to read 1 through 7. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, Then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. And I'm going to go ahead and ask Mike and the worship team to get back in place, and we're going to uh, finish this up today. We find here that uh, there was a group of men in Ephesus, 12 of them, who had uh, been baptized by John's baptism. 
but they had never moved any further along in their relationship with the Lord. They hadn't even heard of anything new. And so Paul came to them and he said, well, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. Now, repentance is important, and without it, we cannot be born again. But repentance is only, what if repentance is only half the story? What if there is more to the story than just us acknowledging that we are sinners? You know, it's one thing to acknowledge that you are a sinner and to walk through life, yeah, I'm, I call it worm theology. Or woe is me, I'll never amount to anything good. Yes, repentance is important, but it is only half the story. When we are baptized into Christ, and these men and men were baptized in water, they were baptized, it symbolizes the dying to the old man, that is repentance, but it also, <laughs> if any, how many of you have been baptized by immersion? Anyone in here? I know, okay. Aren't you glad the preacher didn't leave you down there? <laughs> you come back up out of the water representing the new life and the resurrection power of Jesus Christ in your life. So what if repentance is only half the story? Paul brought a new message to these fellas and they were liberated by the fact that not only did they repent of their sins, but now they were uh, uh, rising again as a new creation in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away and all things are become new. And then it says, uh, he prayed for them and they received the Holy Spirit. The power of God came on them in a new way. Now, I, I would like to uh, ask you as action steps for this week, for this point, what if repentance is only the beginning? Can we live our lives in a spirit of humility and repentance? Also, sharing the message of the resurrection, telling the story that Jesus is alive and doing it by the power of the Holy Spirit. When we, those names that you wrote down on your paper today, they may be believers, they may not. But can we start living our lives in our neighborhoods so that the fact that Jesus is alive makes a difference? <laughs> that it changes everything we do and that we have the unction and the passion of the Holy Spirit in us so that everybody looks at us and says, what in the world is up with that guy? What is he on anyway? They, they said about the apostles in Acts, they said those that have turned the world upside down have come here also. And that's gonna happen only as we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. It doesn't happen just by you repenting of your sins. It happens when we rise in newness of life in Jesus Christ and we avail ourselves to the power of the Holy Spirit to live differently and to live a powerful and effective example of the church of Jesus Christ where we live. As Mike leads us in a couple more worship songs, I invite you to avail yourself to communion over on this side. But I want us just, if, if you're all right with this, just kind of move, spread out through the sanctuary and just kind of worship God in your own way during these next two songs. If you want to take communion, that would be great. But just ask for a fresh outpouring of God's Holy Spirit in your life so that you can make a difference, so that I can make a difference. So as they lead us in worship, feel free to go anywhere in the room you'd like and just spend this time with you and the Lord and ask for that fresh outpouring today.